Welcome to The Real Deal on Drugs, a podcast that aims to provide young people with the information they want to know about alcohol and other drugs. Anyone can listen, but it's important to remember that what's being talked about is done so with young people in mind. If you've heard me speak at schools in the past, I'll be covering similar material to what I present in my student sessions, but this series allows me to go into a little more detail. It also gives me the opportunity to cover some different topics that I don't usually deal with in schools, and that's going to be the case today. The drug I'm going to talk about is cocaine. As I've done with drugs like cannabis and MDMA, at this point, I need to make it clear that this is an illegal drug. If you're caught with it in your possession, you are breaking the law, and there will be a range of consequences as a result. Over the past couple of years, I've found that more and more young people are asking me questions about this drug, and so I'm going to do my best to try and answer some of those as honestly as I can. As always, if you have friends who you think may be interested in what I have to say, you can share this podcast with them. As you get older, you'll notice that when you meet anyone, one of the first questions you're asked, or you ask them, is what do you do for a living? I don't think we ask that because we're particularly interested in what that person may or may not do. It's just that it's an easy question and it usually manages to get a conversation started. I've got to be honest and say that sometimes I don't tell the whole truth when I answer this question. Depending on the situation, I sometimes just say educator and leave it there. I've just learned over the years that telling some people that you work in the alcohol and other drugs area is not always the best idea. People can have very strong views on this issue, and sometimes I just don't have the energy or the inclination to get into some debate with someone I've only just met. If you speak to any of my close friends, however, they will tell you that I have some of the best stories related to what I do for a living. Although some of the places I have been and the experiences I have had over the years sound pretty scary to some, and I've got to be honest, there have been times when I have been pretty freaked out when I sat back and thought about them afterwards. I have been so fortunate to have been given the opportunities I have. There are very few people who can say that they have been taken to crack houses in Harlem, really awful places where everyone there had absolutely nothing. They'd sold everything they owned apart from their crack pipe, with literally hundreds of them living in these tenement buildings in total desperation. That was a day that I'll never forget. I went to Amsterdam and was lucky enough to interview one of the biggest cannabis suppliers in the world. That was an amazing experience. We had organised for the interview to be conducted in one of the many cannabis coffee shops he owned, but when I got there, I was frisked and searched and then taken by car to some secret destination. I think about it now, and I should have really been worried at the time, but I was just so excited that I was going to meet this guy. Pretty dumb, really. I was finally taken into a room that was guarded by armed security and did the interview. As part of a larger UN project I was working on, which involved me working across Indonesia, I was invited to give a presentation in one of the country's most notorious male prisons. Now, this was without a doubt one of the most terrifying things I've ever done. This was a truly awful place, and as part of the day, we were allowed to meet some of the prisoners some of whom we were told were due to be executed due to being found guilty of drug charges. That was heartbreaking. I was invited to attend one of the world's largest dance events in Vienna, Austria, 
which was pretty amazing in itself, and was lucky enough to watch one of the very first pill testing services in the world start their operations. I got to travel by car for almost 14 hours to a remote Indigenous community west of Alice Springs to see the progress of an artwork project I had been involved in funding, something that proved to be a truly life-changing experience. I've been involved in research projects and interviewed all different types of drug users, people who inject heroin, steroid users, those involved in nightlife that use drugs like MDMA. I've also been lucky enough to meet so many amazing people who've dedicated their lives to help those who have been affected by their drug use. As someone who had very little contact with drugs or people who use drugs when I was at school, I'm so appreciative of the opportunities that my work has given me. It's opened my eyes to a world that I knew very little about. For the most part, I've stopped my globetrotting days now. And even though I still occasionally get to do something really interesting if I do visit another country and find out about something that's new, it's my school visits where most of my new experiences come from. Most of these experiences are wonderful. Young people doing amazing things that I share with as many people as I can. Unfortunately, I also meet young people who have got involved with alcohol and other drugs whose lives are devastated as a result. They've either got into trouble with the law, having major problems with their families, found themselves dependent or addicted to a drug, or desperately trying to get treatment. Does this happen to everyone who uses drugs? Of course not. But the trouble with alcohol and other drugs, particularly when you're young, is that if things do go wrong, they usually go terribly wrong, and the rest of your life is affected. As I always say, I love what I do. I'm incredibly lucky. But meeting young people and their families whose lives have gone off the rails because of their drug use would have to be the worst part of my job. Cocaine is an interesting drug. It has an amazing history, and for some reason, it's seen in a very different light when compared to other illegal drugs. Considering how addictive this drug can be, and the problems it causes for some people, it's got quite a glamorous image and continues to be associated with the lifestyles of the rich and famous. As I said right at the start of this episode, it's an illegal drug, and it's important to remember that if you get caught with it in your possession, your life can change. Cocaine is a drug that I rarely, if ever, talk about in my student sessions. It's a very expensive drug, particularly in Australia, and most school-based young people are unlikely to use it at their age. Now, this may change when they leave school, but as I have a limited time, I tend to focus on drug students are more likely to come into contact with at that time. That said, I'm increasingly being asked questions about this drug, and I'm going to do my best to address some of those now. Cocaine comes from the leaves of the coca plant. It's a stimulant, which means it speeds up the central nervous system, making those who use it more alert, energetic and confident. Coca leaves have been used by the indigenous peoples of South America as part of their daily life for over a thousand years. They're chewed for their stimulant effects, particularly their ability to increase endurance, allowing them to walk or trek very long distances. Coca leaf chewing in those parts of the world continues to this day. Now, coca leaves were taken to Europe where scientists were able to isolate cocaine around the mid-1800s. 
Not surprisingly, it didn't take long for this powerful stimulant to become extremely popular. And it was soon made widely available in a range of tonics, syrups and mixtures. These were used to treat conditions such as morphine addiction, toothache and depression. Possibly the most interesting of these concoctions was to outlast all the others and actually remains with us to this day, Coca-Cola. And that leads me to one of the questions I've been asked many times. Is it true that Coca-Cola once contained cocaine? In 1886, a pharmacist from Atlanta named John Pemberton developed a syrup combined with carbonated water that was described in its advertising as delicious and refreshing. He named it Coca-Cola. The name came from the two key ingredients of the drink, cocaine and caffeine. Cocaine from coca leaves, as I've already said, and caffeine from the cola nut. And there it is, Coca-Cola. According to historical records, the original recipe for the drink contained five ounces of coca leaf per gallon of syrup. As I've already said, cocaine is an addictive drug, and with all the tonics and the like on the market at that time, authorities began to notice that people using them were beginning to have problems. As a result, authorities started to put restrictions on the wide range of cocaine products that were on the market. As far as we can tell, Coca-Cola did something about this before they were forced into action, and cocaine began to be removed from the drink at the beginning of the century. By 1904, the company only used spent leaves. They're the leftovers of the cocaine extraction process, which only contained trace levels of the drug. By 1929, scientists removed cocaine completely from the recipe. So as bizarre as it may sound... Coca-Cola did once contain cocaine. One of the most unique things about cocaine is that it is a very short-acting drug. What I mean by that is that its effects don't last very long. It can depend on the person and, of course, how much of the drug was used and how it was actually taken. But some hallucinogenic drugs, such as LSD, can have effects that last for eight hours or even longer. MDMA's effects can continue for two to three hours or more, but the cocaine high usually lasts no more than around 45 minutes. Although cocaine is injected by some, most people who use this drug snort it. That means they inhale the cocaine powder through the nose. It's then absorbed through the nasal tissue into the bloodstream. That leads me to another question that I've been asked a number of times, and that is... Can snorting cocaine cause your nose to collapse? Years ago, when I had my own radio spot on Triple J, we used to get people to call in and talk about their experiences to do with the topic of the day. We talked about cocaine a number of times over the years, but on this day, we received a call from a young woman who had recently had a frightening experience. She had been out drinking with friends and one of them announced that they had bought some cocaine with them and suggested they all have some. This woman had tried the drug a number of times before and didn't think twice about agreeing. The group were at a bar and split up into pairs and went into the bathroom to use the drug. She ended up being with one of her closest friends who racked up a line of the drug onto the top of the toilet. Using a rolled up bill, she snorted the powder and in her words, which I remember very well... Her nose felt as though it had caught fire. 
It started to bleed almost immediately and panic set in. When she finally got to a hospital and was checked out, a small hole was identified in her septum. That's the wall that separates the nasal passages. Over the next day or so, the hole became a little larger, causing the bridge or top of her nose to dip or sag slightly. Now, I'd never heard of anything like this, particularly in a person who wasn't regularly using the drug. In fact, I found it pretty hard to believe. It wasn't until a couple of weeks later when we arranged to meet up and I saw the damage for myself that I believed what had happened. She eventually had surgery to correct the issue, but that was about a year or two later. Snorting cocaine, or any other drug for that matter, can irritate and damage the nose. In extreme cases such as the one I've just mentioned, the septum can perforate, making a hole. If the hole gets large enough, it can look like the two nostrils have become one. If you don't believe that it's possible, just do a quick internet search and you can see some examples of where this has actually happened. The nasal passages are very delicate and blood vessels in this area are extremely close to the surface. This is why snorting a drug has a fairly fast effect. It passes through the skin into the bloodstream and as a result, it reaches the brain pretty quickly. When cocaine is snorted, mucus production increases. This helps to protect the delicate nasal membranes from foreign bodies, including the cocaine. Apart from a runny nose, some people find it difficult to breathe through their nose properly as it becomes increasingly stuffy, while others may start to experience nosebleeds. Although certainly not the norm, this can lead to the nasal septum dividing the nostrils, developing a hole and possibly causing the nose to collapse. Why does cocaine cause this? Medically speaking, cocaine is a vasoconstrictor. That means that the blood vessels constrict or get smaller, leading to a reduced blood supply and less oxygen being delivered to the nasal passages. This can cause the delicate nasal passages to shrink and perforate. Put simply, the cocaine locks down the blood supply to the septum, making it weaker and more susceptible to damage. As I said, this kind of damage is not the norm. I don't think I would have believed the young woman's story that I just mentioned if I hadn't met her myself. Most cocaine users will not experience this problem. That said, it can happen in extreme cases, and it's just one of the risks associated with snorting any drug, including cocaine. The final question I want to address is one of my pet hates when it comes to watching TV police shows. It's when you see police after they've just nabbed some drug traffickers and they pick up a great big brick of white powder, tear it open, put a finger into it and then rub it onto their gums and announce to the world, cocaine. So are these TV shows right? Are you able to tell if a drug is cocaine by simply rubbing it onto your gums? The whole idea of this simple identification comes from the fact that cocaine can be used as a local anaesthetic. When it's applied to certain areas of the body, like the nose, mouth or throat, it causes a loss of feeling or numbness. So to some extent, it's true that if you rub cocaine onto your gums, you are likely to get a numbing effect, much like what happens when a dentist gives you an injection before they begin whatever procedure they're about to inflict on you. The trouble is that those who sell drugs are well aware of this effect, and when they prepare their product and want to boost profits, 
they're likely to bulk up cocaine with other substances that have a similar effect. There are a range of anaesthetics that produce a numbing effect similar to cocaine, but don't provide the high people are after. These drugs include things such as benzocaine and lidocaine. When these are used to bulk up cocaine, those buying the drug dip their finger into the powder, rub it onto their gums, experience a numbing effect, and think they're getting the drug they're after. Now, if they were just getting ripped off by dealers, I wouldn't be that concerned. Unfortunately, however, recently very high levels of particularly lidocaine have been found in Australian cocaine, which sadly has been linked to a number of deaths. Like any illegal drug, there's no quality control when it comes to how cocaine is produced and sold. You can never really know what you're actually buying, and things can and do go wrong. Even if you end up with a high-quality product, that is, it is cocaine that you're using, it's important to remember that it's a powerful drug. Cocaine-related deaths are rare in Australia, but they do happen. When they do, they're often related to the drug's stimulant effect, with deaths due to seizures, strokes or heart attacks. Most importantly, for young people, even though it has a very glamorous image, it only takes getting caught with cocaine in your possession for that image to be ripped away pretty quickly. Well, that's another episode ended. I'd love to get your feedback on what you've heard and whether you found it helpful. If you did and you think someone you know may be interested in listening, make sure you share the podcast with them. If you have a question on anything to do with this area, send it to me by email and I'll do my very best to get it on a future episode of The Real Deal on Drugs. Thanks for listening and stay safe.